Revelation chapter 17, and it's an interesting title for anyone who's visiting uh, and for any of the younger folks in our audience today. And I apologize, but it's probably a heading in your Bible as well. The title of today's message is The Prostitute and the Beast. You say, wow, I came to a strange setup today. Let's jump into verse 1. It says this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Verse 2 says this, With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Verse 3, And he... talking about the angel who's speaking to him, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse 5, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Quote, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, The blood of the martyrs of Jesus, another way to translate martyrs is witnesses. The blood of the martyrs or witnesses of Jesus, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Now, if there are younger people in the audience today, I would encourage you to have a conversation with your parents after this to give you any definitions that you're missing. I will not define them today, but I will say this, as we look at this, And we kind of recap where we've been in Revelation. Up until this point, we've seen judgments be poured out in partial ways and then in totalitarian, this is a tongue twister. Um, Worry about me if I start stumbling off the stage, but if I twist a word or two, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll get back to it. Anyway, um, in total fashion or comprehensive fashion, okay? And so... um, Now we've gotten to the point where these bowls have been released in chapter 16. And one of the angels who's had one of those bowls meets John and says that you should take a look at this. And so it says that he carried him away in the spirit into a wilderness. The wilderness is significant. For those of Jewish faith in those days and even today, it represents death. It represents separation from God. If you read some of the Old Testament about when they were traveling through the wilderness, they were all complaining that God had left them, that they were without him. And bad stuff happened outside of the tabernacle, outside of the city, in the wilderness, Those who were bad, they took them out and put them out of the city, out of the area, into the wilderness. If you're remembering other times that the wilderness shows up in Scripture, the wilderness is a place where Jesus also went, where he was tested or tempted by the enemy. 
So the wilderness is not a good place that represents life and wonderful things. So here John is transported into a wilderness scene, and he sees this woman who looks like she's in royal garb, who is sitting, and the Bible tells us that he witnesses her, sees her, sitting on a scarlet beast, as well as sitting on many waters, which is an interesting uh, contrast, because if you're in the desert or in the wilderness, there shouldn't be a lot of water. Hello? Can I get a nod? Are you awake with me? Okay. So, John is going to be witnessing these things, and then he's going to be told very clearly what they mean. There are some things that we have to really dive into to try to figure out in the Bible. This chapter is not necessarily one of them. So let me explain to you a few things, though, that you should be aware of just in the first five verses. The first thing is this, that as it regards the naming of a prostitute, the the term using a prostitute, or using the term sexual immorality... It's important for you to understand that John was a student of God's word, which to that point existed only the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written and sexual immorality in the Old Testament, although it had a physical reality, you were not supposed to be. If you were God's people, you were not supposed to engage in sexual immorality. It also had a spiritual connotation because God himself used it as saying to his people through his prophets that you have committed spiritual idolatry. Listen to me real clear and plain. God said to his people, quit cheating on me. Stop cheating on me. I made a covenant. I said, I'm going to marry you. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And here you are going around. And the Bible uses some very R-rated language in the Old Testament prophets and says, you are parading yourself out there for anybody who serves other gods. And you're just willing to go and take any other thing and add it to your belief. And I'm telling you, I am your one and I am your only. So repeatedly throughout scripture, we see that sexual immorality equals this metaphor of spiritual idolatry. This is important because the woman, the beast, the things that we hear in this passage about sexual immorality are not about physical intimacy between two humans. It is about a spiritual problem where people are not following after the one true God. The beast, we're told, is full of blasphemous names. Seven heads, ten horns. This is the same beast we've already read about. It is not a new beast. It's the same beast in a new setting or a new set of images that John is seeing. And it's important for you to understand that the blasphemous names that would be on the beast In my view, according to how I read the scripture and understand it, these names would be spiritual competitors to God himself. They would be those that are anti-God. That is what blaspheme means. And so the woman is adorned and arrayed in royal clothing, but she has something very interesting about her, which is on her forehead, a name is written. 
We've talked about the significance of that in the Old Testament, how people, the priests specifically, were marked by the use of something on their forehead. Uh, I was talking to my barber this week. He cut uh, the hair of a Hasidic Jew recently, which is to say one who is very orthodox in his practice, and um, he refused to remove the small box that was on a band around his head because that is God's word. It is the Torah, that's, that's the Old Testament scriptures, in miniaturized form that he is still observing, saying, let it always be on my mind. So then we've jumped into Revelation. So we've gone from the Old Testament into Revelation, and then we hear about a mark that is going to be a counterfeit thing where the beast is going to try to mark or uh, emblemize his people and those who follow him. And now we see that Babylon, this name Babylon, has been written on the forehead of this woman. It's important for you to understand that Babylon is not historically or geographically limited to just Babylon. I've said this before in this series, but to remind you for those of you that need it or for those that weren't here, when you read of Babylon outside of the prophets who were living in the days that they lived in Babylon, when you hear the word Babylon, contextually speaking, it is talking about any system and all the systems of the world and the anti-God influence that it holds over people. The Bible tells us that the prostitute was drunk with the blood of Christian martyrs. This, to me, is something very important for you to understand. Remember, Revelation was written to a group of people that didn't have to sit there with, you know, binoculars or a microscope, as it would be, to try to decipher some strange code about the future. It had an implication for them then. They were living under the rule of Babylon, but Babylon in those days, in their day that they read this, had the name Rome. They had emperors. They didn't have King Nebuchadnezzar anymore, but there were emperors who were persecuting the church. But there is not a time during that history, that historical moment, where we could clearly say that one of those necessarily could have been drunk on the blood of the martyrs. In other words, the scope of the persecution was big, but it was not to the scale of what John is describing here, which would be a future event. Side note, this is some help for you parents. There's a vast difference between a prostitute and an unfaithful spouse. I'll let you figure out how to talk about that with your kids, okay? But... A one-time thing that happens and breaks trust, that's different than saying, this is my life's career path. Hello? And so this system, this spiritual anti-God, anti-Christ influence is literally peddling its garbage, its trash, as its full-time job, if you're getting that picture in your head. There are... um, There's a lot of error in the Christian world 
as it regards interpreting Scripture. And I don't claim to have a perfect hold on the perfection of theology. But I'm going to tell you, out of several different things that I've read to study for this message as well as for Revelation, as I look through those texts, it is uncanny to me that there are some people who've gone through several schools with several different degrees who can understand Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic and ancient languages and all that stuff who will sit there and say that this was a word against Jerusalem or that Jerusalem and Israel were being called Babylon in those days. That is absolutely unpatently, it is absolutely false. The reason is, is there's very obvious reasons, and those are the ones that I go for because it's like the low-hanging fruit that I don't have much explanation to get into deep Greek and Hebrew about, is this. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. He uses the analogy of a bride and a, a groom throughout all of Scripture, and he says, don't cheat on me, stop cheating on me. But there are only very, very few moments where a prophet actually uses the wording that would be similar to prostitute. Harlot in the King James Version in the Old Testament might appear to describe the activity of Jerusalem. That is not what is happening right here. God is exercising, he is executing judgment, he's about to execute judgment on Babylon and all that that entails. But he is coming to save and rescue his people. Amen? And this is not me saying those who are unbelieving Jews. I'm saying those who believe in the God of Israel and accept Jesus as King and as Lord and as Savior. Those are the ones he's going to be in fellowship with for eternity. So, this woman cannot be representative of Israel or Jerusalem. Um... She's represented as a female entity throughout Scripture, either as a faithful bride when she's living in obedience to God, or as an unfaithful bride when she's engaging in disobedience and idolatry. But it is very hard to back up or substantiate the claim that this is about Israel. You say, well, Pastor, you seem like you're on a tangent in a different direction. I wasn't even thinking that. I'm trying to educate you so that when you pick up some Bible commentary and some wacko says that this is about that, I'm telling you it's not about that. And there's obvious reasons why. Okay, can I get a loud amen? Verse 7. The angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman. I wish there was an angel in every one of these chapters. <laughs> that would just say, okay, this is going to happen in 2062. Okay, um, But it, it, it's not like that. But here is what the angel says. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, listen to the phrasing. The beast that you saw was and is not... And is to come or is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was, look at me, it was, it is not, and it is to come. Now you might be saying, 
whoa, that's a very similar phrase that I've heard before about something else in Scripture. So I'm going to help you play Connect the Dots today, color by number. I used to love those. Um, I'm going to help you understand that the contrast here is with Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, and many other places in Scripture where the one whom we serve was, is, and is to come. He is not dead. He's surely alive. Amen. And so there's this idea that is communicated even in the simplest of phrasing that while he may be absent from view, he seems is not. That's what they're talking about. The beast is not. It's referring to that time where the beast seems like, ah, he's not really around. Everything's fine. No big deal. But it is the same beast who then is arising and coming out of the abyss in order to um, assault the world before his final judgment. Verse 9, it says this. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Remember, this is a dream vision. Okay. I don't know about you, but I've had some wacky ones, okay? If I tried to describe it to you, and if I just followed just really casually John's line of thinking, he starts out by saying he saw a woman sitting on a beast on waters in a wilderness. Now you're hearing that she's sitting on mountains in a wilderness. It's Listen, there's a significance to the different images that are given. So he says this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. In other words, she exercises control. It's not a, and again, I don't want it to sound sexist. It's not a she, it's an entity, okay? It's an entity that exercises control and influence. Verse 10, they are also seven kings. Okay, well, how are they mountains and kings? This is what John's telling us he sees, So the angel is explaining and says, there are also seven kings, five of whom, this is important, five of whom have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he does come, he must remain only a little while. Verse 11, as for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. Verse 13, these are of one mind. They are of one mind, one purpose, one heart. It says, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb, come on somebody, the lamb will conquer them. Amen. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of all kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The purpose of God may get clouded in your day-to-day life, but I assure you, he knows what he's doing. This is a good encouragement for us to understand 
There are many questions that the human mind comes up with when we read through things like this or when we look at issues, even current events, or we go back to crazy moments on the African continent or the Holocaust or the world wars or things. How could a good God allow that kind of wicked, evil presence to happen? I'm telling you, God is sovereign over all and he is in control. That does not mean that he's like, yay, thumbs up for murder. Hello? That's not what that means. That means he's allowing us since our first day in the garden to still exercise our will. And unfortunately, those who don't submit to God have a wicked will. How many of you submitted to God at some point this past week? If you're a Christian, you should raise your hand. If you didn't, you should repent. We have time for prayer at the end of our service. I almost went in a different direction, but I'll, I'll stick to my notes and stay here. Let me say this, though. Spiritually speaking to your heart today, we're reading about a beast and a woman on waters and hills and nations and all this stuff. Submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to the one true God. Submit to his word. Amen. Disregard. And you say disregard your feelings. Yes, Because my feelings need to align with the word of God and with the God of the word. Amen. So it's really important you understand he is going to conquer. And those who are going to celebrate victoriously with the conquering lamb are those who've been called, who've been chosen and who've remained faithful. John's words to the people, his first audience, his first readers of this back then was this encouragement. Stay faithful. Understand you've been called. Understand you've been chosen. It's going to get hard. It's going to get harder. But our God is bigger. Amen. And he's stronger. He's sovereign over all. I think it's unimportant. Listen to me closely when I say this. I think it's unimportant for us to focus on what kingdoms or nations are part of that picture. Listen, you could go out and buy 16 Bible commentaries and they'll tell you, well, one was Rome and one was Egypt and one was Greece and one was this and one was that. And the other one is going to be bum, bum, bum. Here we go. Listen to me when I say this. The issue is not whether you can identify the exact kings or kingdoms that are influenced by the Babylonian system. The issue is that you are to be sure that you do not identify with them. I don't know if you followed that train of thought, but I'm saying I don't think we should try to mark them off on a map as much as we should make sure that Babylon does not exist in here. Amen? Comprehensively speaking, all governments and systems in this world that are anti-God are looped into this idea of Babylon. So we need to understand, you say, well, pastor, not every government is anti-God. I mean, you know, how can that be? Listen, if they've rejected him, they are anti-God. If they speak against Christ, they are anti-Christ. That doesn't mean that they are the Antichrist, but there have been many of them and they are still living today. The Bible says they are of one mind 
And they give their power and authority to the beast. But the lamb will conquer them all. Amen. We serve a God who has never failed and won't start now. And he will never be defeated in the future. Listen to me with your spirit today when I say this. No matter how dark the days get, dawn will come. Because our God is not dead. He's alive. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope you can share at work with your friends, with those people that you work with or interact with, wherever they are in whatever frame of life you find yourself, that you can offer to them the hope that God is real, that He loves them, that He wants to save them, that He wants to redeem them, that He's coming back to redeem all of us, this world, those who accept Him. He's coming back to be with us. He's always kept His word. Even in the moments where it seems like he might have forgotten his word. He has always kept his word. Verse 15 says this, and the angel said to me, let me just go back actually and say this. It is important for you to understand verse 9. Just that first phrase. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The days you are living in. This affects the cultural climate in America. And I'm not just talking about a Middle East crisis that comes up in conversation. I'm talking about the issues with our education system, with our justice system, with any of those systems. The issues that we face today, it's important that you have a mind of wisdom. And the only place you can find wisdom is not in documents that were written by so-and-so. It is wisdom that can be found in God's word about how to treat people, about how to view sexuality and marriage about how to uh, abstain from evil, about how any of those things that we find ourselves faced with, principally speaking, you can find the answers if you're looking for them. And you don't have to buy a bunch of self-help books or listen to Tony Robbins as you fall asleep to get wisdom. Y'all know who Tony Robbins is? Is that a too old of a reference? Okay, I thought I was aging myself. Okay, go with me here. Verse 15, it says this, And the angel said to me, more definition. The waters, what you saw where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Your pastor's not making this up. I just read ahead so I could tell you. Okay. Verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. Here's the thing about evil doers. They turn on each other very quickly. (laughs) So now all of a sudden, these kings that have given their power and authority, these national systems, these world governments, any of those things that have allied or allied themselves with the, the beast or with the prostitute, now all of a sudden there's this infighting and war that is happening because they hate her. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. We've talked about the symbolism of Babylon. No, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? My daughter was like, okay. Yeah, <clears throat> they're going to tear her apart and devour her flesh and burn her alive. You say, well, Pastor, how could God condone something like that? Listen, not all of it is physical. 
it means that this infighting, this war, is going to really blow up in magnitude, the one that we're reading about, and that there's going to be this infighting and this vying for power, and they're going to hate, the, they're going to hate themselves that they gave over power and authority, and they're all going to then pounce on that great prostitute. I hate the word that um, is used in most of our translations, calling her a great prostitute. It's not a, it doesn't, doesn't have a good ring to it. Listen to me. The mother of all who have been anti-God, all of those kingdoms, all of those systems will devour her. They'll make her desolate, naked, devour her, and burn her up with fire. Uh, there's some interesting details in Scripture that can be found about people who suffered a fate very similar to this. That was God's judgment. Listen to me. Executed through wicked people. You say, what? You better be a Christian to understand what the Bible talks about. The God you serve is an interesting fella. And he'll allow Pharaoh to harden his heart in order to save his people He'll allow certain things. God did not send Jesus to the cross for you to have a mansion and drive a Benz. He died so that he could save you. Amen? So we need to get away from the prosperity, name it, claim it, I got it kind of thinking to say, okay, wait, God can redeem even my tough moments, even the failures of my life, even the issues that I've experienced in a marriage or on a job or a failure. At Yes, God can redeem your failure. That's his specialty. Meanwhile, all we want is success. And we think the worst of us when failure comes, but God can redeem it. He brings life in the desert. Come on, somebody. So it says here, verse 17, God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Verse 18, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Verse 18, if you're paying attention, makes it clear again. Keep verse 18 up there for me, please. Makes it clear again, Israel or Jerusalem, neither one of those are in this picture. How do I know that? Because they've never exercised dominion over the kings of the earth. They've always been the redheaded stepchild, if you want to think about it like that. I know that's a terrible phrase. I'm sorry if you have red hair. I'm just closing my eyes and not looking around. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is not Israel. This is not Jerusalem. God is doling out his punishment on those who have rejected him and stand in opposition to him. The statement about God's sovereign control over the events that we've just read about. Echo. Billy, stop looking around for people with red hair. <laughs> Reflects this. <laughs> the statement about God's sovereign control over events here reflects the throne of God from Revelation 4 and the victory of the Lamb that we saw in Revelation chapter 5. 
It's because of those things. It's because God is who he says he is that he will triumph over the beast and all of his foes because the lamb will conquer them all. Amen. John is showing the audience then those first century readers and even now by God's Holy Spirit, we are understanding that we should interpret this situation that we face in an apocalyptic way. We should be motivated to stand firm in our belief, amen, against the propaganda and intimidation of evil empires. And we should absolutely maintain our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. No amount of money you could pay me would get me to deny my faith in the God who loves me, who chose me, who I try to attempt to be faithful to. No amount of money could cause me to deny him. My children are sitting on this front row and so is my wife. If they were held at knife point or gun point and I was told to deny my faith, God himself will protect them or he will let me meet them in the afterlife. But I'm not going to deny my faith in Jesus. You say, well, pastor, these things that are happening are so far away. No, they're not. I don't know if you have the same news feed that I do. But there are things happening all over our own nation that represent a darkening of days. It's not far off. I'm telling you, sometime in the near future, there's going to be a moment where we look back with a clear head to a moment someone brought up charges against a baker about a cake. And we're going to say, I can't believe that we've come from there to here. It's going to happen. It's important for you to understand. You say, Pastor, that seems like a hodgepodge and you're kind of mixing it all together. What it is, is it's the system of Babylon. That you, you might not see it this way, but I'm telling you that what is happening in world events is representative of a self-centered, self-God religion. Exalting myself, my desires, my want, my attitude, my whatever. And it is nothing having to do with submitting my will to God. So it's all intertwined. It's all Babylon. And guess what? Even if you're not a Jew, and even if we're not living under the occupation of King Nebuchadnezzar or a Roman emperor, darker days are coming, and you must stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Don't give up hope, because the God you serve is the only one who conquers at the end of our service, we always have an encore of worship song. It's an invitation for you to sing and just enjoy a moment of connection with the Lord before we leave to kind of commit your heart and say, you know, even in your seat, God, I don't want to be the one who cheats on you. Take whatever spiritual application that jumped out to you today. But God, help me be a light in my world during these dark days. Any of those things that the Holy Spirit could have ministered to your heart. But it's also this moment for us to recognize that there is a need for us to repent. Each and every one of us have areas of our life 
that we may not be fully submitted to the Lord. And God says, I want it all. (laughs) Give it all to me. He wants nothing less than everything. So if you're struggling, if you're holding back something, it could be finances, it could be a relationship, it could be a career, it could be whatever it is. If you're holding something in your own clutches outside of the sovereignty and the will of God, you are sadly and will be sorely mistaken to find out that that is not truly yours. God is sovereign over those things. So give it to him. Let him have control. Let him have control over your anger, over your emotional issues, over any of those things that you face. But today, I will say this to you. This week, I repented of being prayerless as it comes to world events and things around me. Sometimes I just think, you know, God wants to hear from me. Yes, I understand that. And so I'm going to pray for my daughters to have a good day at school and be safe. And I'm going to pray for my wife and pray for that kind of stuff. But I was convicted this week of my prayerlessness as it regards other things that God wants to hear from me. Wherever the lines have been drawn by the Holy Spirit today, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And in this moment, I want you to make a commitment to the Lord. Maybe it is repenting like I did this week of prayerlessness. Maybe it's something bigger than that or different than that. God, we take a moment today to lift you up. We've taken this time in this service to talk about your word and future events. But God... We want to exalt you high above all other things, above our goals, ambitions, above our family, above any possessions, above our desires for the future. God, we want to lift you high and declare that you are above all of those things. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church respond in faith in these dark days, not in fear, but in faith. And Lord, help us to be those believers that base our decisions, our words, our actions, our life on your word and on your will and your purpose for us and nothing else, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you administer to each of us as we commit ourselves to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Ancient and old time glory, Spirit of God can do it.